Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. For several decades, Ken Fay crisscrossed the nation preaching the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ in camps and revivals. This sermon was preached at the Fall Revival held at God's Bible School and College in Cincinnati, Ohio back in 1996, and he titles it, The Importance of the Christian's Will. I know you're going to enjoy this classic sermon. Thank you, Brother Avery. It's a real privilege for us to be here tonight, a real honor. And uh, someone asked me, have you been to the chapel before? And I said, no, I had never been to the chapel, that is to participate in a chapel service uh, prior to this service tonight. I do remember, however, being here in 1957, or was it 58? I'm not sure watch one of those two springs there was a hosted IHC convention here maybe some of you were here Glenn Griffith was here Dr. T.M. Anderson was here I believe Samuel Dictor Doctorian was here at that time and um, Leonard Ravenhill was here and H. Rob French was here and God was here and that service changed my whole perspective and direction in ministry. I don't know if I was saved or trying to get saved or backslidden and about to be or what, just where I was. And I come in late and I was leaning up against the back, back there because the place was filled and um, H. Rob French had made some remarks, and I don't know who all they were, all these prestigious fellas. But I remember Brother Glenn Griffith got up to preach. And before he did, he just started saying something about recognizing the presence of the Spirit. And God came and just swept this, this auditorium. And I saw two ladies down here, silver-haired ladies. They bounced up simultaneously. It was totally unrehearsed. And they just did the neatest little dance you could imagine, and I just stared. I'd never seen anything quite like that before. And one fella took off. He started around, I don't know which direction he went, but I watched him, and he had his head up like this. 
and he wasn't watching anything. And I said, that fellow's going to kill himself. Sure enough, he's going he's to crash against that wall back there or there, wherever it was. But he didn't. And he started down the center aisle. And about that time, some fellow started up the center aisle. And he wasn't looking up like he was expecting the stars or something like that. He, he's sort of a geologist. He's looking down like this. And, and he was really running hard with his head down. And I said, they're going to crash. They're going to kill themselves right in the middle of this aisle. And God had his hand on that surface in such a way that they just separated at just the precise split moment of time and went right on. Did you used to have a ring uh, on a curtain up here? Is it still here? It's not here. I saw a fella come across this end, and um, he's a running, and he just jumped up in there. I don't know if he just intended to jump at that time, or if the Lord just sort of launched him. He hit that metal ring with one foot, and he had, that's quite noisy, isn't it? And he had one Bible up in the air, and he's looking out at everybody like this and just went along that for quite a little distance. It just took my breath. And I'd heard about the glory, and I'd heard about the supernatural, but I'd never seen it on that wise till that service. It just looked like wave after wave of God's presence came. Uh, people were singing and some were weeping. I saw a whole row or two or three, a whole bunch of people right in there. Just get up and start right over the seats to the altar. Now, I wasn't planning on saying that till I come, but I wanted to explain what a little acquaintance I'd had with the chapel here at God's Bible School, this sacred premise, this sacred area right here. And I was a liberal-minded young man at that time, but that service changed my direction. And I love the message of holiness tonight in that service. Figured into it in a very, very prominent way. Brother Mike Avery, it's wonderful to be here with you folks. I trust you'll pray for us. Everybody that's tired, say amen. 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 You're honest about it too, aren't you? I'd like you to stand if you would. And if you have your Bibles, would you turn to John's Gospel, chapter 5? And I'm going to start our reading at verse 1 of John's Gospel, chapter 5. A little different line of truth and standard evangelistic message, I suppose. But I trust it'll help us, this first service. I'd like to see God come in any measure, in any way he wants to come. Again, he doesn't have to do that. But if he wanted to, I sure wouldn't want to stand in the way of it. I want him to have his way, and I'm sure you do too. Reading then from John's Gospel, chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. 
After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five perches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk. Moffat's translation says they were invalids, blind folks, halt, he says lame, withered, shriveled, he gives the rendering. All of these folks waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew he'd been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? And the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. I want to conclude the reading right there. I'd like to direct your attention especially to this word of the Lord Jesus in verse 6. When he spoke to the man and he said, Wilt thou be made whole? And I want to talk to us tonight a little while about the will and the importance of the will in uh, Christian matters. I sometimes think the will's like a hinge, like those doors back there, or here, hinges on the doors. They allow the door to open so that folks can pass on through, or if folks are undesirable, you can use that hinge and swing that door shut. I like to think that the soul has a hinge that opens toward God. It's called the will. And that same will is that that enables the, the soul or the inner powers of the kingdom to close toward Satan or satanic activity. It's pretty important this matter of the will in Christian matters. Let's pray, shall we? Father, again, we thank thee for the service. We've heard good singing and good music, and there's a wonderful spirit on here tonight. But Lord, we're sure there are those that have spiritual difficulty, and we want them to have victory. We want them to know that they're sanctified and in the center of your will for their lives at this time in their life. That's what we want. That's what we're praying for. And so we pray you'll touch us tonight in this service. Direct the message and we'll praise thee in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to make three observations about this man right here at the top of this message that might be a lot like some of the folks that are here. 
Number one, this man was a wondering man, that he was full of wonder. The angel of the Lord would come down, those waters would be activated in some wonderful way. And persons with various kinds of infirmities and diseases, when they first got it, they were made whole. And they left that area. They went out from those five porches. They went back into life and assumed normal roles in life. And I think he wondered about them, how they was getting along. And I think he wondered a lot about himself. Wondered if he'll always been a cripple like this. He'd been a cripple like this for 38 years. He wondered, is it, am I confined to this crippling paralysis the rest of my life? However long that be. I think he might have wondered a great deal about it. So he wondered. And it's quite clear that uh, he also waited. He'd been waiting now for 38 long years. He'd been waiting for seasons, special seasons, where an angel would come down, and I don't suppose any of us can quite understand why that happened just that way. An angel would come down, those waters would be activated, and that was a sign, and folks would try to get in there. And uh, he was waiting for the next season of this special manifestation of God's healing power. And those seasons came and they went and folks left the porches and healed and he was expectant and the next season would come, the special moving and it pretty well the same condition. So he was waiting. And all the time, his his condition is worsening. He's getting weaker all the time. I tried to put that in my voice just a little while I was reading the scripture lesson. Sir, I have no man when the water's troubled. Sort of a pitiful, whiny, discouraged, dismal, dark kind of a lament. I, I just... There's nobody to help me into the water. And uh, you just live 38 years, it's going to take a toll on you, but you live it 38 years with an affliction like that. It had affected him mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, bound to have affected his faith. Just wondered, maybe God has favorites, somebody to help those, but nobody to help me, and So you just get the picture, he's pretty glum and down. At the time that Jesus came in under those porches and looked around, saw this fellow, and moved his direction. And then Jesus said to him, Will thou be made whole? And as I said, he gave this pitiful lament, sir, I've no man. But Jesus, pardon the expression, he didn't buy into that. In fact, he addressed what someone has said is the only thing that has survived the fall, the will, the power to make a a choice 
to a divine invitation. And Jesus said, will thou be made whole? And apparently he had a little will left. And with that challenge from the lips of the master, he exerted what little will or effort he had on his part. And divine power went from the Son of God into that man's body. And he stood upright on his feet and was made whole and left out from under those porches, completely healed. And no need for him ever to return to that condition again. But his victory came at the point of his yielding his will to the Savior. I travel a lot. I talk to lots of people. Some folks don't want to talk to me, but a lot of them do about their spiritual problems. And I find this condition just about everywhere you go. People are wondering. They've got their problems spiritually. I have this this lustful nature, someone said. I just, it's an enormous thing that that I can't control and it gets loose on me. And I find myself reaching out to gratify this depravity, this lust in my heart. Or, Or I get... I get upset, I get angry, I fly off the handle, I get mad. I just really have a time with my temper. And there are folks, you'd be surprised, that wonder if God can really deliver a person from a carnal temper. And folks talk about other inordinate affections and perversities of the nature and habits and hang-ups and problems that are there spiritually and they just wonder is there really any victory for me can I ever get victory over this thing and while they wonder they wait Uh, folks are tempted to wait through a school year uh, till the school's out and you get into camp meeting you don't have to worry about studies my favorite preacher is going to be at the camp meeting and my favorite singer so they, they wait for the camps to come. Sometimes they wait for certain revivals to come. Now the spring revival or the fall revival. And and they wait for those special, organized, orchestrated services, the spiritual emphasis, and they hoping that they could get in then and get to God and get help for their soul. And a lot of them have been waiting for years. And the real need, the nasty need, the troublesome need, the real spiritual paralyzing problem in their life is never really answered and corrected. And I'm satisfied, friends, it's because many a many a time People are looking the wrong direction for victory when it lies at the point of just doing the next thing God told you to do and yielding your will Godward. Now, there's folks that argue that. Some folks say, well, I think it's a matter of knowledge. You've just got to know things. You've got to get it straight up here. And a lot of 
lot to that, a lot to be said about that. The late Dr. Tozer said, we'll never live right unless we think right. And I think that's true. And that's one of the purposes of a Bible college. And that's why we ought to study the word, so that we might rightly divide the word of truth. And it's the truth that sets us free, Jesus said. And that's all true. But on the other hand, a person could make too much of that. And you know and I know there are some folks, they got a whole head full of light and truth. They've been rocked in it, cradled in it. They know just how to get saved. They know just how to get sanctified. They know what's expected of them in the holy life. And they can delineate it and just lead it out there for everybody else to understand. They can teach it, but they're not living it. Though they got a whole mind full of light and truth. And I've known of some, and I think maybe if you reflect, you know of some. They didn't have a thimbleful of knowledge that these others have but they're way up the shiny way spiritually and doing well spiritually. And friend, I contend tonight God's number one problem with us is not our dull, stupid minds or our lack of complete understanding in every area. And then there's those folks, of course, that say, well... If you're going to have the godly life and be godly and spiritual, you've got, you've got to feel something. And you've just got to have, you've got to have blessing from God. And, and uh, whatever it does, get blessed. And, and uh, so folks tend to think with some of this good teaching that they're just going to have to feel good all the time. And they sort of base their whole life or much of it on this matter of moods and feelings and and impulses. Just how they feel about things. Old Dr. C.W. Ruth, he said, feelings, I like what he said. He said, feelings are the most undependable dependence anyone ever depended upon. Did you hear that? He said feelings were the most undependable dependence anyone ever depended upon. He said Isaac did that and he ended up using his feelings and and blessing the wrong boy. Ended up blessing Jacob instead of Esau, the firstborn. And it's true that when God saves us, clears things out of the way. There's going to be times when we're blessed and refreshed and renewed and strengthened and happy. I tell you, it's wonderful, but not always like that. I understand a Quaker brother met Mr. Wesley one early morning going out to preach. And he said, Mr. Wesley, art thou going to preach? If the Spirit doth not move thee, he said, my brother, I'm going to preach until the Spirit does move me. (laughs) I find myself like that lots and lots of times. Like that tonight, really, but it just doesn't matter. Just know you're right with God. 
no matter how you feel about it. God's number one problem with his friends is not our minds and our ability to think everything out real, real crystal clear in every area or how we feel. God's number one problem and difficulty with us is to get a a surrender of our will to him and to get it so fixed that even when we don't and can't figure everything out and we can't sort of feel like we're on the shining way, there's just sort of a settled, quiet, but a holy, stubborn resolve. I'm going through with God on the, on the lines he's dealt with me about. That's God's number one problem with it. Now, folks, that's pretty important to getting saved. Um, I, uh, I, I appreciate it when folks say, let us fast now and let us pray for Holy Ghost conviction. I see Brother Alan Brown here tonight. Brother Alan, I preached that message first night of the camp up yonder on the need of Holy Ghost conviction. And I believe in it. But may I say something to you this, this night, friends? I've seen conviction settle down, and, and you have too. When God was very manifest present, dealing with folks, you could see it. They looked troubled. Some of them traveled, trembled. They shook. They, they, you could see it in their faces. They, they just were troubled by God. And the conviction was on. Preaching had been good and the singing and the invitation and saints were weeping and angels were lowering and hovering and others were seeking the Lord. But these people just remained fixed in their seat. And it wasn't because God didn't deal with them. And it wasn't because there wasn't conviction on that they didn't yield their will. Somewhere in my reading, a man made this statement. He said, the influences of the Spirit are always persuasive. They're never coercive. God just doesn't break arms and bend people's arm behind the back and force them to go his way. He tenders the heart, breaks down the idols and calls and shows the dangerous sins, the wonderful privileges of grace, but he expects the will to yield. That's pretty important whether you're a last year student or a first year student. If you haven't realized the importance of that hard time, you woke up to it, friend. You're going to have to yield your will to God when he entreats, no matter how strong the conviction may or may not be. In fact, Jesus gave us a classic example of a fella. Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son, in the far country, when he's down to the end of it all in the hog pen that used his will and I dare say that's about all he had left the scripture said he got the reflecting got the thinking about things back home in repentance there's an intellectual response he came to himself got the thinking oh I've missed it I've, I've done wrong I've sinned They have it a lot better at home than I do here. 
And he felt bad about it. He groaned and lamented his condition. That's the emotional element in there. Came to himself, made the comparison, said, I'm perishing for want of food. But then the volitional response. He said, I will arise and go back to the Father's house and I'll make the confession. And friends, there, there wasn't anybody leading singing. There wasn't any nice organ playing. There wasn't any angels hovering. There wasn't any crying mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and preachers entreated. All they had was that grunting hogs there. But he came to himself and said, I will, and began to move one foot in front of the other and got to the fence and out onto the road and on back up the road. By using his will. I know a splendid Christian. PhD. Wonderful Christian preacher. He said I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't raised in evangelical church. I was raised in a, a modernist church. The pulpit sat in an odd position. And, and they never preached a saving message. But somehow in provenient grace. God got to dealing with my heart. And he said one morning. Sitting there in the service, the preacher was reading something, had his robe on and all that. And he was reading something and he said, something got a hold of my heart. And I just knew it was Jesus. And somehow I got a hold of this verse in Revelation where it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice and open that door, I'll come in. And he said, I, I believe that was Jesus at my heart door. And said, I didn't even know you were supposed to do it or not do it. I just knew that's what the word said. And I had that much faith. And when I recognized Jesus was talking to me, I said, Jesus, would you come inside my heart? Would you save me? Words to that effect, I wish I could have him tell it to you. It thrilled me. He said, just sitting there in that seat, he's gloriously saved. He said, it just, the whole thing just lit up. It just, it looked different when I left the meeting. I was smiling. They was looking at me when I walked out the door. He said, Brother Faith, God genuinely saved me, and I've never been a conscious backslider since that time. What a tribute to the influence of the Spirit upon a man's yielded will under those very unlikely situations. It may be that some God has dealt with so much, you may never get any more help from God until you begin to use what willpower you have left and say, I will mind God here. I will mind God here. I will step out and do this and that and let God have his And friend, that's true about getting sanctified. You can get light from the Holy Spirit on the danger of this inner corruption, this carnal nature, till you're scared of it, really afraid of it, what it might do. And the same Spirit that produces that that sickness and that dread of that revelation of depravity 
throws his light out there on the cross and on the blood and on the atonement and shows what a gracious Savior there is that can cleanse the heart from all sin. Come and dwell and keep it clean. That's negative and positive work of the Spirit. You can have all of that. That that makes you sick and that that draws you and makes you hungry. But unless you yield your will to that voice that calls you to holiness and to the cross and to be sanctified and do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing in your journey and your seeking and your quest until he comes and sanctifies you, friend, you'll never know the blessing and the richness of this grace lest you yield your will along those lines. Now I'm not talking about real high-powered services like you have in a camp meeting or revival meeting. I'm talking about when there's nobody around. Just God dealing with your heart to be able to yield your will that way. Book of Genesis chapter 32 tells about Jacob. Remember out on Mount Peniel? He's going to have to meet Esau. Scared. He doesn't want to meet him because he knows he's not right. And he wrestles with the angels. Some think it's the Lord. I don't know. I don't know. He's wrestling with his own condition a lot, I tell you. He doesn't want to admit what he is. But by and by, he begins to confess, my name is Jacob. I'm the deceiver. I'm the hill grasper. Have to come to meet conditions if you're going to be sanctified. And he did it. And there wasn't anybody praying with him either. And uh, as morning began to dawn, the angel said, now let me go, let me go. And uh, Jacob said, okay, I guess if you have to go, why, goodbye. Is that what he said? He said, I'll not let thee go. I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And the angel did something right at that point. He twisted around and he twisted Jacob's body and something sort of snapped or cracked or popped out of joint, whatever, here in his thigh. And when you get hurt real bad, whatever you're doing, you let go and you grab that or you grab something to steady yourself. But so intent was his desire to have the blessing he just fought the pain back and held on to the angel lest he live and it's the folks that start to seek God's blessing of heart holiness with a will and said Lord I'll not let thee go till you come and make clear to me my heart's pure and the Holy Ghost is conquered and I'm dead to the carnal mind and you reign in your fullness that get the blessing. It's not this bunch that kneel a little bit and pray a little bit and feel a little better and when folks begin to shift around and get up and go their way, they shift around, look out through their hands and see others leaving and get up and go their way. It's the folks that take it by the job and lock in to the will of God and let him probe the heart and deal with them with a will that pray after others have quit the praying. 
and seek God with a will till he comes and sanctifies them wholly. Will is pretty important to getting saved and to getting sanctified. And friend, it's pretty important to keep the victory even one day after you get it to keep your will yielded to God. If you got saved, sanctified, let's say this summer, did you keep it? If you got it in this meeting somehow, could you keep it two or three days? You reckon? Not without a resolve and a yieldedness in your will. Day by day, I choose the will of God. I'm going to go with God. I've made some vows to God. I'll not break them no matter how I feel, how I think. I've made some vows to my God and I will not renege on those vows to my God day after day. Day after day. You're going to meet temptation. And you have to use your word. I like that verse over James. Chapter 4, verse 7. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. You've got a resistor. That's what that will is. It's the resistor. And if you resist, he'll flee. He may not stay away a long time. He may come back again, but you're going to run him off again by resisting. That's what the Bible says. It says, if we resist the devil, he'll flee from us. I have a very dear friend, daughter-in-law. Here's a daughter-in-law. She worked in one of our... Uh, big city hospitals, not as a nurse, worked as a secretary late at night. And there had been some real crimes committed out there in the parking lot and around there among the ladies. So it wasn't really safe. And one night she left her room and shut the door behind her and started down the hall and um, pretty dim lit corridor. She looked and the gentleman stepped out, well-dressed, seemed very courteous, very nice. He uh, slowed down his steps, and opened the door for her, waited for her, smiled at her, nice, engaging smile. And she stepped past him to step through, and he hooked an arm around her neck, drug her back in. <laughs> but she's prepared. She had a little... The knife that she had worked down her sleeve and into her hand and she just went back like that and got him right in the leg and uh, boy he let go he wasn't no Jacob he, he, he let go and howled and she'd already whipped out her mace can and she baptized him with that thing and began to kick him and scream and they grabbed that guy and they put him in the slammer and she saved horror of going through an attack like that. How come? Well, she'd been reading about them. She knew that other folks had fallen, had some idea of what might happen. So she expected an attack. She detected the attack and she rejected the attack. 
With your will, you come to God to get saved. With your will, you come to God to get sanctified. And with your will, you treasure this, this, this wonderful boon that God has given you. And you say, Lord, I'm not going to let Satan defeat me. I'm going to, I'm going to walk in heaven's light and be on my guard and I'm going to resist temptation. I'm going to expect it. I'm going to detect it. And I'm going to reject it. That, that's what Samson didn't do. The Philistines hired Delilah. Her name means seductive. Her orders was get him. Find out the secret of his strength. And poor old Samson, he never did seem to wake up and catch on. He just was so flattered by her smiles and praise of his manly prowess and all of that. He never did discern and catch on. She's after the heart of my faith. She's at this, after the secret of my power with God. And found, she, found, she found that covenant area there and, and, and lured him over the edge and he yielded to it. I mean, he gave up so easy. He went to sleep on her knees. That's what the enemy is trying to do. He tries to get to the vitals of our spiritual life, our bonding with the Spirit of God, with Jesus Christ. He tries to get into that relationship and mess up and break it. And we've got to expect it and detect it and reject it. Facts are you can't grow in grace if you don't keep your will yielded to God. I mean, after you've been sanctified, after you've got a few notches on your belt, so to speak, or notches on your gun barrel where you defeated the enemy, you've still got to keep exercising your will if you're going to grow in grace. That from Second Peter, isn't it? Chapter 3, the last verse, 18. Grow in grace. Friends, it's a command. We come from Idaho, and out there, they have wonderful crops in Idaho. If you ever get out there, you know, sure enough, what the real promised land is like. But I've never yet seen a farmer get down there and holler at those Idaho potatoes, grow, Idaho spuds, you grow, I command you, get up out of that ground and grow. They'll order the potatoes that grow, the tomatoes that grow, their lush, beautiful corn to grow. Because, you see, everybody recognizes that there's elements and nutriments there in the soil. You plant the seed, you give it a little encouragement, and those things will take over. And, and growth is pretty well automatic. It can be, it can be prophesied by the agriculturists. But here's Peter ordering us to grow spiritually. What's that tell you? 
That tells you that you can do a lot to structure your spiritual development if you will. You can say, well, now I can't read three, four chapters out of the Word, but Lord, I believe you can help me to read one chapter. And here's this wonderful book. And I'd like to read several, but Lord, you know, my time's limited. I can't read all that. But Lord, I could read into a chapter and maybe halfway through it. And Lord, I can't pray for two, three hours. I've got classes and work and things to do like that. And this goes for faculty as well as students, I'm sure. But Lord, you can help me to structure out a few things here where I can pray and I can verbalize some things to you and then I can wait and listen to have you talk to me. And so, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to budget some time out here and I'm going I'm to discipline myself so that I can structure out a pattern of growth here spiritually. Now, Lord, when I get to church, you know, I've been real reluctant and shy and embarrassed about testifying. It just seems too much for me to say I'm sanctified. But, Lord, I'm, I'm gonna, if you'll help me, I'm going to do it tonight. If they give me half a chance, I promise, Lord, I'm going to do it. I probably won't make a big speech, but Lord, I'm going to get up and say, Pastor, I just want to say, I appreciate your preaching and your faithfulness, and God did sanctify me, and I'm still sanctified. If I can't do any more, I'm going to do that. And if I can't sing all of the verses, 90 to nothing, I'm going to sing a few of them, Lord, with, with everything I got. And even if I can't put my hand way up, like some folks, are, they're not embarrassed about anything. They're just free wherever they are. Others... They're scared of their shadow. If they put a little finger up this high, everybody in the house got to see them do it. I know, because I'm one of them fellows. But every now and then, I just have to say, Lord, I'm going to put my head up. This, this is to tell you I'm walking in the light. And anybody looking on, if they want to know what it's about, it means I'm walking in the light. Glory to God. Yes, even sanctify me. Now, you say that sounds pretty corn-pone, Brother Faye. And it is. But I'm telling you something, friend. It's these things that we can structure into our life that will develop us spiritually. But you'll never grow spiritually without using your will, your sanctified will to go with God. I'd like to get on another point too and then close a little message tonight. This matter of answering the call of God, this, this matter of fulfilling the call of God on your life, that too has to do with the will. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind, I press for the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I know it's just the beginning of the school year, but old Splithoof may be around saying to somebody, you're not called to preach. You're not called to be a missionary. You're not even called. Facts are, you're not in the will of God being here at God's Bible school. Why don't you just quit? You know Dr. Brown's going to give you such hard tests you can't get through anyway. 
and uh, you'll have to repeat it, so you might just as well give up right now. Don't be surprised, the old enemy. Don't get you to think, well, God's will for you is to be a dropout from the call God gave you. And from this time of preparing yourself for the ministry God's given you, he'll put the pressure on and say, ah, no, you've missed it. You're in the wrong place. You got the wrong call. You're called to do something else. And he'll fight your call, mister. He'll fight the call God gave you. Fight the call God gave you to be a pastor to be a missionary, to be an evangelist, to be a teacher. The call God gave you. Don't you ever forget it. He'll dog your steps and fight you to keep you, if he possibly can, from fulfilling your God-given call, the career, the ministry God gave you. I didn't know you were supposed to fight the call to preach. I didn't know it. I didn't fight it when he gave me a call. I jumped at it. I mean, I said, Lord, you mean you want me to preach? Lord, if you want me to preach, I'll sure enough do it. And I answered the call without a struggle. But I've fought the call from the second day to this day, from that time, to stay in the ministry and to fulfill the ministry God gave me. And my friend, Young friend, student, listen to me tonight. Get a sanctified heart. Let God mold your will. I don't know that he breaks folks' will. I don't know that it does that. Now that stubbornness of the will, that carnal stubbornness, oh, he'll crucify that carnal stubbornness and he'll give you a holy stubbornness to, to, to be what God wants you to be. I don't know that he breaks a person's will so they become glassy-eyed and sort of a robot, you know, staggering around. I don't know that he does that. But he'll cleanse the will. He'll inspire the will. He'll enable the will to go with God. He'll do that. In Ephesians, he said, he is in you both to will and to do of his own good pleasure. And I think Jesus experienced that. But he said, Father, I delight to do thy will. Did he always delight in doing it? No, sometimes it was a struggle. Sometimes it was an agony. For example, Luke 22. Now this picture here, it's not, the light's not on it now, but Jesus praying in Gethsemane. You know the word. Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Now there's the surrender of the will at that point. What does the next verse read? The next verse reads, And there appeared unto Jesus an angel strengthening him. What's that tell you? That tells you that when we yield to the will of God, we may feel weak and we may feel faint, but divine resources will couple up with that yieldedness so that we can fulfill 
that course that God has set for our pathway. Uh, I, I, I was, I've been an evangelist for years and uh, I get tired in it. I don't get tired of it. But I was coming out of Idaho in January and the snow started blowing. I was young, married, had four little kids and I mean little ones. At least the youngest two were real little. And they'd cry and the diaper buckets would fall over and uh, we pulled a 28 foot house trailer and the mother and I and we worked with our youngsters and I got in a snowstorm and uh, I couldn't hardly see the road and finally I limped into Montpelier and had to put up for the night in a, in a motel and the storm didn't break it raged the next day I was three nights in the motel till all the money I had was about gone and I hardly had enough fuel to get on but I had a credit card and faith in God I don't know if they go together or not And when the storm broke, I decided I'm going to head for Denver. That's when the meeting was. And they'd already lost about a whole week of the meeting because I couldn't get there. Pretty good-sized church and assistant pastor was preaching. And so I limped into town. I, I mean, I limped out of Montpelier and finally got down into Green River, Wyoming. And uh, the roads were clear. And I said, honey, give me some coffee put the kids to bed, I'm going to drive all night and I'll get to Denver and preach tomorrow night. So uh, we're going down and there's a, a, a road going, the road goes down like this into Green River and um, I, it was night, about three in the morning and I look and I see a car come up, the lights are going on and off in this car and I wonder what that's about. So I roll down my window to look out and these guys are yelling, you're on fire! You're on fire. And I say, I'm on fire. I'm on fire. <laughs> and I break that thing and screeched off to the side of the road and jumped out and looked back in my trailer. And here's a flame of fire about yay long shooting out under that, that tire well. And I got down on the road and prayed, oh God, don't let my tire, don't let my trailer blow up or burn up. And pretty soon the thing went out. The lug nuts had worked off. And it had broke off through the rim and set that thing on fire, but I was down for the night. And it was sitting like this. Well, not quite that bad, but pretty bad like this, right on the side of the road. I limped off, you know, finally got it off the road enough, but that's all I could do. And it's 27 miles on into Green River. And there's hardly anything back of me except 18-wheeler semis coming throwing up the snow and throwing it every direction and when they'd come by they just passed me whoo, and that thing would just float like that I thought I was in the Lord's Navy for a while it was just sort of floating like that we tried to light the fire and it wouldn't light I guess it was on a climb like this couldn't get the furnace on so I said, okay, everybody, keep, in, keep all your clothes on, get all the blankets, and we all dove into one bed. And we're trying to get some sleep. 
And the kids finally did get out a little bit. And all of a sudden I hear a car slowing down and I look up and I see a red glow in my room. And I peek out the curtain and I see where the red glow is coming from. The top of this specially designed car. <laughs> and I said to the kids, I said down there, shh, don't make a word, don't a word. I prayed the Lord would not let the law catch me that time. I was going to get away from him if I could. And I heard, come around. Shh, word. Oh, Lord, send that fellow on the road. Help him to find somebody else, not me. And directly he went back and left. And boy, we were hungry. And we were out of fuel. And I was already late for the meeting. And that unexpected breakdown on the road. And in the morning I went out there and smiled at these guys as they came by and they just saw my thumb in the air. I don't know, they couldn't figure out what that meant. They just were roaring on by. Near me blew me off the road. I'd look at my trailer and it sort of bounced like this. Now Daryl Regina Stetler don't have any idea what I'm talking about. Not the foggiest. But you may sometimes you have to do this type of but friends, I finally got into Green River and got that tire fixed. And God and I had to talk, and I cried some. And I said, Lord, it's all right. I don't understand it, but it's all right. Don't have much money left. I don't want to use this credit card, but oh God, I'm not going to go back on my call. I don't feel bad at you, Lord. I know you'll help me. I know you'll strengthen me somehow. We finally made it into old Denver, and we had us a good meeting. That meeting went five full weeks. And God just seemed to bless. We'd come to the end of a week. Oh, Brother Faye, look at the folks that are coming. Backsliders come. And it's just one of the best revivals I guess I've ever had after all of that discouragement. Don't be surprised if the enemy doesn't try to cheat you and defeat you in your call, but you must say, I will not back up on the call God gave me. I want to close with this, this little thought. We'll enlarge on it in the meeting. Friend, if you let God sanctify you, the sanctifying spirit of God bonds with your will. I think the marriage relation is probably the, the best illustration of the sanctified union that we can think of. I have a friend from up one of the New England states. He said this in his early ministry. They used to travel up and down the road calling on folks. And those snow or storms would come in. And he said his wife would say, I don't think we can get to the next house. The mountain's too tall, husband. We can't drive our car. We'll have to park it here. And I can't walk up there. There's drifts. There's snow. He said, I was young and strong. And I'd say, wife, you, you get behind me and hang on to my coat here. Just hang on to the, this part of my coat. And I'll, I'll break the snow down. I won't take big steps out, but I'll break the snow down and you hang on and I'll break the snow down 
and provide steps for you, and I'll pull you up those hills. Said Brother Fay, I pulled my wife over a many a many a many a hill. We'd get to those outposts <laughs> that nobody wanted to go to, and I'd pray and sometimes have communion. Sometimes have healing services and Bible studies in those far off places like that. And I pulled her over those hills. But said lots and lots of times, Brother Fay, there were other hills I couldn't get over if it hadn't have been for my godly companion. But she stood with me and she'd encourage me and say something that was just so fitting and so proper. And she pulled me over many a many a many a more hill than I ever pulled her. And then he turned to me and he said, you know, when we get yoked up with the Holy Ghost like that, that's the way he does. He just says, hang on to us. Put your will in mine. Yield to me. Keep surrendered. Keep committed. I'll provide the way for you to make the climb clear to the top. I'll tell you what, the burden of this preacher is that every one of you, if there's any of you and all of you that haven't this experience, you'll get a sanctified heart and a sanctified will to go all the way with God. I want us to stand together. I want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855, USA. I don't want to lose the fire.